Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling with Raghu Marcus and and my new friend. I say that a lot, Chris. Chris Bashanelli, and or also known as Bash, right? Right. Chris, welcome. <laughs> yes, that's correct. I was reading some of this stuff and I kept looking. Yeah, Bash did this. Bash, did, kept, who's Bash? And then you know, I put two and two together. So uh, Chris has been all around the world doing the most incredible stuff and uh, filming it uh, and some of it for the National Geo Explorer series, right? Am I correct? For the National Geographic Channel under the Bridge the Gap series. That's the name of my show. Bridge the Gap. Do you, do you know who Trumpa Rinpoche is? I know who Trijang Rinpoche is. Well, Trumpas They're are probably fam- all related. <coughs> well, they all are. Related, but Trungpa is uh, a very famous Lama from the last. Uh, you know, he died uh, before two thousand. Uh, he died in what in the eighties, actually, and uh, he was one of the most incredible Tibetan Lamas. I I talk about him a lot on Mind Rolling, and he's definitely a big part of what we, who we are, uh, related to the Be Here Now Network, and. So he had, I'm just, because bridge the gap. This is why it just tripped me off into this thing. He had a thing that he would talk about getting present in a meditative state meant getting into the gap between the thoughts. So I thought, this is a corollary corollary to bridge the gap. And if we can do, if we can join those two things, one is an action-oriented thing, and one is a uh, a deep place of presence. And uh, so, anyhow, that just tripped me out. You should check them out, Chris. It's kind of like it's kind of like the opposite, but opposites. You know, the opposites are often are often the same action just flipped on its head. It's like getting in the gap, as opposed to bridging the gap. It's like getting, getting right in. in, as Wayne Dyer says, getting in the gap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Check out Trumpa Rinpoche. Chogyal I will. Trumpa Rinpoche. Okay? I will. Ramdas did a thing uh, with him to start <coughs> this. Uh, there's a university in Boulder called Naropa, and it was started uh, with Ramdas doing this amazing course on the Bhagavad Gita and how to apply it to your daily life. Some great, great stuff there. Okay, let's not talk about Chogyam, although I'd love to. Let's talk about you and and the... You uh, aptly so uh, stated on the website, you are a global citizen. Aspiring global citizen. Uh-huh. I think that's a, there's a big difference. Although you can run into a lot of trouble with the title. I you, have, actually. You have. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, and the other thing that Chris does, he goes around and he uh, gives very inspiring talks to different uh, groups from... Um, corpse to other organizations and so on and uh yeah they're pretty inspiring you're an inspiring guy actually and how old are you anyhow 29 for now unbelievable see what karma you just had this karma to get out there and do this thing (laughs) thanks brother yeah and uh, had karma for a lot of other stuff as well so talk about just your own individual journey just the internal journey I mean, a lot of what you're doing, obviously, is action in the world, great action in the, in the world. Uh, and one of the uh, <clears throat> one of the main things that we have been involved with, of course, Ramdas, because I run the foundation, uh, the Love Server Member Foundation. I'm the director, and so a lot of what we put out there from him and from the other teachers that we have in association, as well as Neem Karoli Baba, our guru is around doing social action. But until each of our hearts have been transformed, it's very difficult to have any effect whatsoever. So in relation to your own inspiration to do this work and the work that you've... How did it all come about? Wow. Yeah, it's so refreshing, Raghu, to be asked that question about the internal journey because I've never been asked that question. I think that's the one that matters the most. You see, I kind of, I kind of fell into this uh, motivational speaking world 
it was never my intention. And I wouldn't call myself a motivational speaker. I would call myself a storyteller. And if people are motivated, that's that's up to them. Hopefully I can share some struggles and, and triumphs. The first, where, where it all started, I'll give you just a nutshell of the professional because I really want to dive into the into the personal. But I was I went to college for acting. Grew up in Brooklyn my whole life, and I got a, a very good scholarship to one of the best acting colleges in New York City. And in my senior year, I booked a role on The Sopranos. Totally unfulfilled. All four years of college, never had interest in acting. I mean, it was fun, but it, it wasn't my passion. So I booked this role in The Sopranos, subsequently missed an audition for a TV show called Gossip Girl, and was essentially let go by my manager and my agent. And I'd always wanted to travel, I'd always wanted to see the world, so I found an amazing cultural exchange program in Tanzania, traveled to Tanzania with a Sony Handycam that my friend Jake gave me, and I made a 20-minute documentary. That's when I was 20 years old. Hmm. For me, though, the, mo- the most significant moment of my life was when I came back from Tanzania. The day I came home, I discovered that my father had a tumor in his lung. Two days later, we found out he had stage four cancer and that it was terminal. It wasn't said, but that but it was known. And so he passed away about two years later. And that was the first moment in my life where I, where I, I would say I began to wake up and I, I began to realize, you know, it doesn't work. I live, in, I live in Bay Ridge. I live in Bay Ridge, Brooklyn, which is where they filmed Saturday Night Fever in 1979. You can tell because you have that afro, so you already know about it. <laughs> so John Travolta lived across the street from the house that I grew up in. And it's a very middle-class neighborhood, wealthy no poverty. It's very easy to stay in a bubble here. When my father got sick and he passed away, I thought, whoa, what's, what's up? There's something, there's something beyond that I'm not seeing. I poured myself into this vision that I had of Bridge the Gap, creating a TV show where I could bridge the gap between people and cultures around the world. What is it like to walk in someone else's shoes how can we humanize people from around the world and see that we are all human beings? So it stems from compassion, ostensibly, but deep down stems from a lot of ego and a lot of wanting to be famous and wanting to get my name out there. I started this in tw- when I was 20 years old. So for the past decade, it has been a process of coming into my authentic self. You asked me at the very, very beginning, you said, are you a global citizen? I said, no, I'm an aspiring global citizen. And the reason that's such a big difference is because global citizen implies you're already there. You know, we're aspiring global citizens. We're aspiring bodhisattvas. We're, we're aspiring good people. We're just, it's, it's a path. It's a journey. Somebody asked Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee, when, when are you mature? And he said, mature, I don't believe in being mature. I believe in maturing. Because when you're mature, you've stopped growing and you're done. So I started my company in 2009, Bridge the Gap TV, was able to raise a bunch of sponsorships through PBS, through corporations like Ben & Jerry's, and I eventually became an explorer for National Geographic. So I filmed four television shows around the world, Uganda, Mongolia, Haiti, and on the Pine Ridge Indian Reservation in South Dakota. And over the course of developing this TV show, I subsequently began doing small little speaking events and eventually did a massive event in Brazil for the United Nations. And then I moderated the International Day of Peace with Stevie Wonder and Michael Douglas and Jane Goodall when I was 24 years old. Mm. And then, Raghu, after that, so 24 years old, imagine all that spotlight. It really makes you think that you're, it can really make one thing that, that there's someone special and there's a lot of danger in that. So I was 24 years old and then I just started booking one event after another for the United Nations, for BMW, for in Azerbaijan, TEDx, just all around the world, one after another after another. And I'm going up there sharing these amazing stories of true global citizens around the world that are really doing amazing work and saying, this is what it means to be a global citizen. This is the path that we have to walk. This is what it means to recognize that we're all interdependent. And this is, this is the place we want to operate from. The problem is that I'm a very smooth talker. (laughs) 
And what happens, right? We, we, if, if I speak of, what is it? If I speak of in the tongues of angels, but I have not love in my heart. Mm. And, that's, and that's my gift and my curse is that I'm a smooth talker. But when you're a smooth talker and you're not there internally, you can feel like crap when you're not on stage or when you're not getting adoration. <laughs> I've, just, I've just seen this in, a, in an intimate relationship that I've had with someone who I essentially deceived because I thought I was someone other than who I was. You know, I was speaking from a place of already being there, of already being truly loving, but not actually, but not really being there, really just wanting what I wanted. And that's, and it's a horrible feeling. So over the past few years, I just began to wake up into, you know, my friend just told me right before this call, she said, Chris, it's wonderful that you're speaking on, on the Ram Das network. You're not Ram Das." And you need to know that you're not Ram Das. And she said, and maybe sometimes Ram Das doesn't feel like Ram Das, but that's important for me to hear because I can list to you dozens of credentials and the reason I'm paid all this money to speak around the world. But in truth, I'm just aspiring. I'm just doing my best to practice what I preach. And for me, that's been the most important of this most important part of this internal journey. Is, is coming into what I talk about on stage. Mm. And when you were, say when you were younger, sounds crazy, uh, <laughs> when you were, uh, let's say, just <coughs> coming out of high school into college and all that and discovering all sorts of stuff, how did you, did you uh, experience the reality of our interconnectedness? Was it? I mean, a psychedelic does that, a piece of music does that, an ineffable experience, an un uh, meeting somebody who is uh, advanced and, and is able to just be, in, like Ram Dass, unconditionally loving. What, what was your trigger? Coming out of high school, there's, no, there's nothing there. Coming out of high school, there's nothing there. It probably was only maybe coming out of college that there was something there. You got to remember, for when I came out of high school, I'm like, I want to be a famous actor, like just going on auditions nonstop, had no interest in it, totally operating from up here. <clears throat> My father was a bit of a, a, a guiding mm -hmm. light. He, just, he was just a, a regular lawyer in the city, but very middle class guy, a very honest guy, always tipped the waiters, always looked out for people. I had a few rude awakenings with him, you know, when I was growing up, maybe making fun of a certain religion or race and him like knocking me down or, you know, like the time I made fun of the, the taxi driver that had no shoes. And my dad's like, Chris, this guy is maybe so poor he can't afford shoes. My dad had that ability to kind of see the world from someone else's perspective. But I would say the two biggest awakenings of the interconnectedness for me the first was when I got to Tanzania. I went to Tanzania through Stony Brook University. And what they didn't tell us is that you're, you're going to be staying with a nice couple from the south. Well, that couple turned out to be Pete and Charlotte O'Neill. Now, Pete O'Neill was one of the former heads of the Black Panther parties in Kansas City in the 1960s. Hmm. There's a wonderful PBS documentary about him called The Panther in Africa. And essentially what happened is he was brought up on a gun charge that he didn't commit for walking a gun across state lines and had to flee the country in 1970 and has been in Tanzania for 40 years. Now, Pete comes from the world of prostitutes and drugs and, you know, intense radicalism with the Black Panthers, but he said he was never happy. Since he moved to Tanzania with his wife, he donates all of his money back into this community center that he runs called the United African Alliance Community Center. And gives all his money away, all his time to help others. He, now he runs uh, a children's home. He'll never call it an orphanage. It's not. It's a children's home. And he, the point is, I met him when he was 67 years old and I was 20 years old. And he said, you know, Chris, I've never been happier in my life. And Raghu, the moment was this. It was like, I think it might have been my last night in Tanzania. And I was pushing him, pushing him. I was like, Pete. I want to change the world. You know, I'm young. I'm American. I have energy. I want to change the world. What can I do? He's like, Chris, 
learn to put what you want on the back burner and learn to put what other people want on the front burner. I was like, yeah, but I need an action. What's the act? It was all about action, right? It's Mm. just, what can I do? What can I do? And especially I'm from Brooklyn. I really want to do something. Mm. He said, I don't know, Chris, just start small, just do something and then it'll ripple out and it'll have an impact. But I kept pushing him. Not enough. I said, Pete, give me something. Give me something. He goes, Chris, how much money do you have in your wallet? I said in my wallet, I said I got I got eight hundred dollars because I'm going I'm going to go to Europe after this. He goes, you got eight hundred dollars in your wallet. He said, take two hundred. No, he said he said take a hundred dollars and go do something good with it. And it, and immediately I was like closed. I was like what? He's like take a hundred dollars. They go, I don't care what you do with it. I don't care if you give it there. I don't care if you give it to a kid. If you give it to a school, but do it now, and you'll make a difference, and it'll ripple out into the world. And it's not about giving money. That's not what he was saying. But what he was saying was, think about other people. That's the message he was trying to get me to see. And for me, why couldn't I understand that? Because I was coming from the place of taking an action. And he was coming from the place of being the person that is a good person. And then it ripples out into the world. Yeah. He could have been quoting Ramdas. From <laughs> heart to heart to heart to heart. That's how it works. You know, um, where did you, so you have, uh, something very dear that, uh, you know, I'm fine. We're, we're talking, I'm meeting you and just kind of understanding where you're coming from. And that thing that's very dear is a real relationship with self-honesty and, uh, it's it's again harking back to what first attracted me. We're talking about Ramdas a lot here because we were talk. Chris and I were kind of talking about him before because we have a mutual friend and who lives in Maui who you know, is trying to get over to see him. But uh, <laughs> Jake, this is to you. Uh, <laughs> but Jake. the reality is that when I my first attraction was in this tremendous honesty that Ramdas had about himself. He was always looking inside and looking. And really, it's the first mindfulness. You know, mindfulness being the, the big byword today. But really, in that day, he was always very mindful of where he was coming, where his ego was taking over in terms of wanting fame and, and notice and all that. You know, all the stuff that you're talking about, he would talk about back then and lay it out on the line. And just in every way, there was nothing that was sacrosanct. He would talk about himself. And it was all in, hey, we're all here. It's okay because we're human. We're all here. It's okay to to think of yourself most of the time, right? To, from the morning that you get up, you get up in the morning and it's I, me, mine the whole time. But that little crack of honesty allows us to start thinking about somebody else. And that's what happened with this, uh, with this person that you stayed with in, in Tanzania. And, and it, it takes the pressure off because then you think, oh, if he's, if he's showing his, his shit, then I can show my shit too. I don't pretend like I have to have my shit together. Right. Exactly. Which what, is was a, that, what, what was that moment, that, that the biggest one with Ram Dass that made you see that humanity in him? Most surprising well, flaw that he shared. Well, there's a whole bunch of them, you know. Um, lust, anger, <laughs> greed, um, attachment. He just, he let it all hang, every aspect of his life. And I, of course, you know, just getting into the spiritual path at the time, thought one, just like your thing, the same shit that you're talking about, one has to, well, I've got to look a certain way and I've got to talk a certain way and, and, and so on. And then you realize, you know, that's, this is all absolutely keeping you from being authentic. And we talked about, you know, finding that authenticity. So uh, th- this is a really totally important thing that we're talking about right now that you've brought up. For people who are trying to just get, as we call it here, life in balance, just on a day-to-day base, <coughs> basis, just be able to be who you really are and yet not afraid of the dark shadows and, and, and allowing that all to be. And the key to it is just being honest. But the honesty doesn't come. I mean, do you do this to yourself? Like you get honest, you know, you're really getting honest about where you are and where you aren't. 
in relation to the work you're doing and the social action you're doing. And then you, but there's no, like when you see the dark, there can't be this judge, you know, that judge that's going, you stupid shit, which is what many of us, most of us do all the time. We have that judge. Whenever there's a negative thought, whenever there's a, a shadow <coughs> that comes up, so I think that this is it not true. I mean, honesty. No, it, I, I mean, it is. I've, I've felt like shit for the past 72 hours because I've <laughs> just I've seen some things about myself and I've just been flogging myself with a with a, you know, wooden club with spikes on the end of it for days. Well, let's do we should get these. You know, what we could do we could get these jack-o'-lanterns. Is that what they call them? Whatever. You know, it's, it's a whip <laughs> that's got like five different straps that you can. That's what used I need. flagellation I, things. I from... really get some stuff done with those whips. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. Of course, you go do a Zen course, and if you just nod for one second, they come over and whack you in the back. <laughs> that's what I need. Yeah. That might work You need for a me, personal uh, assistant to do that. Yeah. Um, but that, it's, it's so. Sorry, Rog, let me to cut you off. No, just... go, go. I mean, this, the self-honesty is so important. It's the most important thing in the world in some ways if you're on the spiritual path. My teacher shared something with me. Uh, I'll never forget. He said, you know, Chris, because I was talking to him. I said, I'm getting all this attention on stage, but I don't feel it. I'm not. And I had this call with this client and they're talking about how amazing I am, I am, but I don't know what they're saying. And he said, Chris, you need to be very careful because, because essentially fame can – Fame or attention or adoration can 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 completely undermine the spiritual path. I was like, oh, it can kind of get in the way and slow me down. He goes, no, it can completely undermine your spiritual path because there becomes a greater and greater disposition. There becomes a greater and greater gap between who you think you are and who you actually are. So if you, unless you feel that standing ovation before you get that standing ovation, unless you feel worthy and loved before you get on the stage, unless you feel fulfilled before, before you give that talk, you're finished because then you become addicted to the, to the applause or to the person snapping your pictures, right? If you're a model or to the number of likes on Facebook and then you be, just become totally addicted in that in that stimulus. So we have to move to that place of becoming okay first and then bringing that fulfillment to whatever we do. But that, that again, easy to say, a yeah. lot harder to do. Yeah, work in progress, all of it. Yeah, that's why it is super important. The honesty is super important and then the non judgmental stuff, which is part of mindfulness, which means it's the biggest one. And you gotta just practice to get to the place where you are not you're not in your head. You're in your spiritual heart. You're in, uh, let's just play, say, a place from which you actually can love yourself and are not wanting to blow your brains out because you've had, a, you know, a shitty thought or even a shitty action or you've really seen the dark side come up. I, I love this thing. Uh, one thing I picked up off the site or something, uh, strengthen relationships with, quote unquote, the other. Let's talk about something real difficult, okay? Strengthening <laughs> relationships with the others. Talk about your experience and going out there in the world and meeting people and uh, and how you use that intention. You know, Raghu, it's 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 very easy for me to have compassion for somebody that I don't want anything from. It's very easy for me to have compassion for the heavy woman that I find unattractive who's maybe a little upset sitting next to me in the meditation room and then I can hug her and you know hold her and, and I'm fine and I and I care but the second that pretty girl to the right of me is a little upset and wants a hug then that <laughs> self-motivation kicks right in and I, I can guise it in compassion or whatever I want but it's 90% self 99% self-interest 1% compassion. So for me, the idea of, of connecting with the other, and this is all stuff I'm talking every day, I'm changing and, and hopefully growing. I mean, if you, if I would have had this conversation with you a year ago, I wouldn't have even, I wouldn't have even been able to have this conversation. So when we talk about connecting with the other, I think the most important aspect of that is first connecting with ourselves. 
So there's three rules that I share or three guidelines that I share at every talk I give. And I, I've coined it the rules of the stoop. There's suggestions. There's guidelines. So three rules. Uh, awareness. Awareness of ourself. Awareness of others. Acceptance, again, of ourself and of others. And third is, is courage. Courage, if I, if I had my druthers, I would just say transformation. So whenever we face... Uh, Whenever we face one of those, as you said, dark corners of ourself that we don't like, whenever we see it, oh my God, I didn't even know I had that quality. What is that? That's disgusting. Once you see it, the first step is awareness. After you recognize that, then you accept it. All right, I accept it. And now let me have the courage to transform that. Where is that coming from? How is it pervading my relationships? How is my lust getting in the way of me having a sincere romantic relationship with someone else? How is my self-interest preventing me from being more loving to my family and others. I mean, it's so interesting because we talk about connecting with the other. What we're really talking about is dissolving the walls between them and, and us. Ramdas talks about this a lot, and that's one of the biggest, one of his most profound teachings for me is that, you know, there's that moment where the person becomes an other, where they become a them. And it's like the pretty girl sitting next to me in the meditation room, as soon as the other person has something that I want, whether it's like a loving energy that I want to be, that I want around me to support me, or a beautiful face, or whatever it might, as soon as that other person has something that I feel I can benefit from, then the self-motivations get in the way of having an authentic relationship come about. Mm -hmm. And here's the biggest thing I'll share is that, you know, when you want to connect with somebody else, I think this is so, this, for me, the second rule of the soup is the hardest one, acceptance. I am not saying let's be perfect before we start having relationships with other people, but I am saying let's be honest with ourselves first, and then let's be honest with other people. Hey, this is where I'm at. I'm doing my best. That's where I'm aiming, but this is where I'm at right now. And then it's like, wow, it's like Ram Dass does. It's like he takes our he takes our uh, – he takes our armor down because he said, oh, you know, I'm messed up here, but I'm doing my best. And that's all that's all it means to be an aspiring global citizen. Yeah. You, you said uh, uh, you knocked out a key word there, uh, Chris, that uh, uh, that requires a little story, uh, which I have. Uh, this is not the first time that I have told this story. So for those of you out there, it's around courage. For those of you out there have heard it, it. You know what? We all need to hear it more than once, I think. A lot of times you get the message after repeated uh, use. Uh, so, you know who Neem Karoli Baba is, Chris? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, and you know who <coughs> Krishna Das, the Kirtan guy, is, right? So, he happened, this is, this is a story from him. He happened to be in Mumbai once when we called him Maharaji. Nimkaroli Baba, and he was there, and Krishnas was staying in a hotel room with another Westerner and an Indian uh, devotee uh, who spoke perfect English. Maharaji would come to the hotel and just hang out in the room and give darshan, just hang out. You know, he never taught or anything. He just occasionally would say one word or another word, and they would have a whole plethora of meaning. So... Uh, He's just sitting in Krishna said, we're just actually hanging out. Nothing was going on. Suddenly, Maharaji says, courage is everything. So the Indian guy could, so this, this our tradition, of course, is <coughs> bhakti yoga, right? The yoga of devotion where, and, and guru's grace. So the guru, in this case, being a, a very, a, a siddha or a, a what it would be called in the, you know bodhisattva whatever you want to call that yeah. um the indian man went well wait a minute baba really it's all about the grace of the guru isn't it like he was countering him and maharaji went and pointed with his finger courage is a very important thing and krishnadas got that message for the rest of his life to this second Whenever any when when things go awry and and tough, he has that that message 
and the profundity of that message, which you well uh, explained just before, described, of how when you're aware of something, and you're aware, and it's a shadow, and you're aware of, you're aware even to the point where you want to judge yourself, and uh, you're aware that you can't love yourself in that moment. There's a, there's just, there's a flip that's so hard to make, and that flip is the cur. This is, and you know, this is what I get at when Krishnadas tells this story. Everybody could get a little something different, but this is what I get that helps me, is that little flip takes a kind of courage to ex- to be expo- naked psychically naked and uh, and actually change your act that you are habituated to throughout your life because you're being told we are being told we are shits right for the most part by society potentially by a family and so on <coughs> And so that the courage it takes to just turn that stream in a you know in another direction I think is uh, is super important. And obviously, this story, particularly with Maharaji, wouldn't have told Krishnadas, who has you know continued to tell this story in retreats and so on and so forth. So, courage, we've gotten you know we've got self honesty, courage, pretty good bywords here that you're bringing up, Chris. Did he? Do you take that story as that the guru's grace is beyond courage, or that courage is more important, or am I looking at it too dualistically? Yeah, to, yeah, because there's no way no to difference. understand at the highest level. There's no difference, but we could never rationally understand that. So we do whatever we can do to move along the path. And and we take something like courage, and and honestly, it is. I mean, I'm telling you this in this moment, right, on a podcast in the middle of nowhere. You're in wherever you are, California, Brooklyn. Oh, you're in Brooklyn. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to have that California reaction. <laughs> yeah, you're in Brooklyn. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. Whatever. We're just in the middle of the cosmos. This thing came up. It's it's enter it's entering into this moment. This whole thing around courage, right? And whatever you're supposed to get, whatever I'm supposed to get, we're going to get out of it. Is that not grace? Yeah, no. It's, this it's, is it's, you know. This is the grace. Yeah, the grace of the guru, I, and it's it's really that moment of you're aware if you accept it. I mean, for me, I think acceptance and courage. Once you accept it, and it's like done, then everything else is easy. Once you accept, but that courage is really that moment to say you recognize that pattern that you've been playing out your whole life again and again and again. And it's the courage to either – it's either you're going to be ruled by fear and you're going to do the same thing you've always done and go back to that person or say no or say yes or whatever the fear ruling decision would be for you or the courage to say, I'm going to look the other way this time yeah. and I'm going to take a step in that direction. Or I'm going to do something that is not uh, comfortable. That's another thing. Doing things that we're not – I, I said on a recent podcast, one of them was – I love chai, and I stopped drinking chai because I needed to, you know, the caffeine for whatever. And and I didn't like it, and I wasn't comfortable. It was a <coughs> stupid-ass little thing, you know. So, um, but, but success can be measured by the number of uncomfortable conversations we're willing to have. Yeah, exactly. There you go. Um, okay, I want to go back to the, the strengthening the relationships with the other because um, there's a big, fat other out there for all of us right now yeah. in this political season. Yeah. And uh, the polarization is uh, extraordinary, what's going on. And, and the, um, so the other, how, how do you manage to, uh, now you go around the world, you're bumping into all sorts of people. I mean, in particular, uh, the other in this case, which is, he will remain nameless. Uh, is is like a, a really uh, in India they have the Ramayana and and the bad guy in the Ramayana is Ravana, right? The ten headed Ravana who steals God's wife and keeps her hidden in in his castle. And Hanuman, the monkey god, goes and saves him and all that. So he was a really <coughs> ba- so we've got a Ravana going. How do yeah. we deal with the other? 
that other? Well, I wish I could say there's one answer, but there's not, and I'll share something. I mean, it incorporates everything that we're talking about so far, right? So dissolving the wall between us and them, and everyone has to look at their own stuff, and we can't get people to look at their stuff. All we can do is look at our stuff hmm. and, and, lead by, and lead by example. I think, you know, for me, hosting a, a travel show is motivated by self-interest and other interests. It's motivated by wanting to be on TV, wanting to be famous, wanting to travel, wanting to do what I like to do every day. It's also motivated by the desire to dissolve the wall between us and them. And how do we dissolve that wall? How do we connect with the other? I think it happens, Raghu, in a moment. And that moment often comes in a conversation when we're not expecting it, if we're open to it. So number one challenge in the world right now, especially in this I mean, I could say especially in this political landscape, but if we're honest, the world's pretty much always looked like this because it's just the delusions manifesting in one way or another, except now we have more access to it. And so everyone's tweeting and Twittering and shittering and doing whatever. So we have like 100% nonstop access to it. So, so how do we, how do we do it? How do, how do we connect? We're open. We have a conversation with someone and Yes. Sorry. Let me back up. So the number one, the number one challenge right now with all of the distraction is a, is a lack of compassion. Okay. We're, we're not compassionate. I look at you, I see you as a human being, but really I care much more about myself than I do you, Raghu. Although I do like you very much. And I hope, I hope we can, uh, hope I can come crash with you in Asheville. The point is, how do I see you as a human being? It can't just be from an intellectual perspective. And that's the problem right now with the political landscape. We're trying to do it from an intellectual perspective. We're trying to do it by changing the laws or putting up walls or whatever the hell we're doing. It has to come from the place of the heart. And the way that I think that happens is when you touch a chord with someone else that you've already been through. So in my show, Bridge the Gap, I walk in someone else's shoes so that I can have a direct experience of what they're going through so that I can just have a little glimpse of a moment into their life and think, oh, wow, this person is just like me. They have the same needs, wants, and desires. Walking in someone else's shoes is not always possible. What we can do then is we can imagine ourselves in someone else's shoes. We can imagine what would it be like to be this person? What would it be like to be that person on the side of the road? What would it be like to be that, you know, Starbucks barista that's having a bad day? And we can take it even one step further, which is the simplest method is to find our in. So find that place of connection. At the moment, we're kind of like building our fortress and we're keeping in people that we like and we're keeping out everyone that we don't like. And in our fortress is is like our wife, our kids or our husband, our family and like people that make us feel good. And we're keeping all the people we don't like out. And we're also not really paying attention to the 99.9%, the rest of the world, the people that lost their lives in the bombing in the Istanbul airport two weeks after I was there, or the people that lost their homes in a flood in Louisiana. So how do we increase that compassion and dissolve that fortress and dissolve those walls is to find that place of connection. Finding that in can come from the simplest simplest of points. It can come in the form of having children that both are in the Boy Scouts or the Girl Scouts, or we both hurt our leg playing football, or we both ride a motorcycle, or we both, we both love hiking. You find that in and then you go there. I find in my experience traveling the world that the deepest connections for me come talking about some form of suffering or another, because that's the most universal human experience you know, you've both lost, I lost my father to cancer. Oh, you both, you've lost somebody to cancer. Oh, you have a family member that died this way. Oh, you're, you're someone is sick and this. And then once that person says that to me, you know, when somebody comes up after the speech and says, you know, I have a son that's going through this or my mom, this, or my father got sick. And it, the second that happens, I just see that person as a human being. And so there's no way to do it, Raghu, in my opinion, on a grand scale in the political landscape. I think the only way to do it, and we can't even tell other people to do it. 
the only way to, for us to do it is to do it in our shoes mm. and in a, a person-to-person level. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, no, no, it's absolutely correct. Abs- you're absolutely right. It's, it's the little things through which we have a chance to meet another person, for sure. And, and you know it. You feel it. Yeah. And by the way, there's a, um, uh, one of the teachers at uh, the retreats we do in Maui. Her name is Mirabai Bush. She's a very close friend. She does a wonderful meditation uh, called Just Like Me. And, and it's like His Holiness the Dalai Lama talks about. Everyone wants to be happy, no matter who they are. And everyone, so it, it, everyone is just like me. Got the concern, the self-interest, got all of that going. But basically, down somewhere, down inside somebody, there is always a place, at the very least, of some <coughs> em- empathy about the predicament that we're that somebody else is in. There, there, there is that, and and it's very difficult to, c- to connect. And and of course, in the big bugaboo. Uh, where someone is acting in such a hateful manner, uh, then I think uh, the only thing you can do is what Ramdas does. You know what he does? Loves them more. No, he gets their picture and he puts them on her, on his altar. And oh he goes, yeah. Hey, how are you doing today? How's your incarnation? It's pretty shitty, isn't it? <laughs> but your soul is another matter. Now you know that that's. Uh, I find that very difficult, and I have not been able to do that, and I'm still very reactive around uh, the pain that uh, people, some of these people are causing. But, but if we're honest, then we can move to a place of, you know, suddenly the person who we saw as, like, angry, we see as scared, and suddenly the person we see as, like, a bigot, we just see that person as scared, or the person who was a womanizer, they're just scared, they're just terrified, and and hopefully we can have compassion for them too because at the moment of death i don't know unless you're on that spiritual path i don't care what path it is you're not going to be protected and so if we we could we could grow our compassion for that person mm-hmm. yeah 100% uh here's something else i picked up uh, i love this and uh i think it's uh, an article that you wrote a blog you might have written and i i think um I think you need to, to write a book around it. I'm suggesting that to you right now. And it's uh, maybe you already did. I don't even know. It's called The Inner Mo- Nomad, Key to Unlocking the Soul's Compass. They have a good way with words there, Chris. I love that. The Inner <laughs> Nomad. That is, that is uh, it's the reason we all back in the day went to India to find this being. You know, we just, we had started exploring and we needed to take it one step further, and off we went uh, mm. and uh, and did find the key to unlocking our soul's compass. I just love that line. Where did that come from? <laughs> I don't know. It probably came from a space in between thoughts when I wasn't thinking too much. The gap. The gap. Yeah, the key. I mean, it's interesting we talk about the, the inner nomad. I, I will say, Raghu, and I think it's very important to make this point, is that I I used to think I was here to change the world. Now I know the world is here to change me. And I meet so many people when I'm giving lectures that will, or when I'm in conversation that will say, wow, it's the greatest job in the world. I'd love to travel. I'd love to, I just want to travel. I just want to travel the world. I just want to travel the world. I think to myself, you know, you can travel the world, but what comes next? Um, for me, the key to unlocking your soul's compass is the inner path. It's the path within. So global citizenship is a path within. It's not an external path. And so often, like the most disappointing thing will be when somebody comes up to me after a speech and they'll say, like, what a great, what a great lecture. Like, I get it. I just spent three months volunteering in Botswana and my son is traveling here and there and there. And I just think to myself, they just it totally it totally missed the point. Um, the point of travel is not to change the world. The point of travel is to learn more about ourselves, and that's easy for me to say because I've been to thirty five plus countries and had all these amazing adventures. 
So I know only after having all these adventures and meeting all these people and having all these experiences that the key to unlocking my soul's compass is not having more experiences and traveling more and doing more, but it's learning more about myself. Hmm. Well said. And and you also talk about one other thing that uh, I see that you absolutely are mastering, which is one of the most important things uh, in any of this, our interconnectedness, any of the communications we're talking about with the other, everything that service, everything that we've been talking about, this uh, it's all predicated by this one uh, topic, deep listening. And uh, I know you've talked about that and uh, and my experience, not just with you right now, you actually sent me a video. I think you, I can't remember exactly, you were on the um, Mongolia maybe, was it, were you in? I'm so happy you brought that video up. I know exactly what you're talking about with the nomad, right, on yeah. the hill. Yeah, that was so connective for me. And, but in it, you know, you, you have done some great work on yourself, obviously, because you are able to be here now with another person, deep listening. But talk about that. That particular thing was really outstanding. Um, um, the video you're talking about is the is why why be a nomad, and it can be seen on BridgeTheGapTV.com or on my website under the Bridge the Gap videos. And the reason I'm I, I'm happy that you brought up that video is because of all the hours and hours and hours of television I've produced. I'm most content. I I was starting to use the word pride, but Jane Goodall yelled at me for using that, not yelled at me, suggested I don't use it, uh, content with that scene more than any other scene because I didn't say anything. I just listened and I had two or three correct questions and then he just went. And it wasn't planned. For me, the best moments in life are the ones that are not planned. You know, we had so much scripted when we went to Mongolia, not words, but ideas, themes we wanted to get across actions, things we were going to do. And, you know, we're riding around on the horses and we're moving the cattle around and moving the sheep around. And then he's like, Chris, we got to get off. Let the horses drink. And then we start walking and my cameramen are kind of like a little bit far off. And then he just sits down and he just starts talking to me. I just, and I, it just came to me. I'm like, why are you here? And what are you doing in the step? And where, where did this come from? And then he says, my grandfather. And I was like, and then it just like immediately dawned on me. What, what did your grandfather say to you before he died? There might have been one moment where I had to catch myself, but in that scene, I'm most content, I'll dare I say it, proud, because I didn't say anything, and I listened, and it was the best content that we've ever filmed. Back up one, two, three years before that, when I was in Uganda filming my second TV show, I mean, I watched the raw footage, and it literally came to the point where my producer, Eric, was saying, Chris, bite your tongue. No, 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 stop, don't. Don't, he had it, I, I would not stop. I just, I kept hitting the character with this theme. Tell me about happiness and how are you, and I just wouldn't stop. And nothing, nothing came out of that. But if we listen, conversation goes in places we can't even imagine. Yeah, not to mention the absolute respect that another fe person feels when you actually stop and truly listen. They feel loved, respected, and honored, period. It's it's probably the one of the most difficult things to actually do. I have a I have a big problem with it myself, uh, especially uh, in uh, in relationship and uh, and also in the workplace. I mean, I really work on this. This is uh, and I recognize this as being one of the most important potential transformations for me and enabling me to be uh, to be able to be of any use to my fellow humans. So yes, yes. Wow, Chris, this is pretty nice. Pretty, pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got, uh, we really, uh, this is a nice stoop. I like that uh, analogy, too. We create a stoop in a place of, which is a place of common ground. I guess we just have a lot of common ground. So our, our metaf uh, uh, metaphorical stoop is huge, it seems to be. We could have a lot more people on this stoop together. For sure. Yeah. Well, um, we're kind of at the end of the deal here, the show. And uh, 
I just want to uh, encourage everybody. Uh, so where can they go? Bridgethegap.com? Um, you know, I really don't update Bridge the Gap TV's website too much. I think just my personal website would be the best place, chrisbascianelli.com. Okay, C-H-R-I-S-B-A-S-H-I-N as in Nancy, E-L-L-I.com. Okay, go there and you can hook up with Chris and see. And also, obviously, uh, I guess on, on uh, National Geographic Explorer, right? You can be... Yep, and yeah. on, on, on PBS as well. And the, the air times are all over the place. I'm not sure when it's out, but I will put information as soon as I know. Yeah, well, it's all on... And Just go to the site and you'll be able to... I mean, I did uh, this... It was a beautiful... Um, uh, video of Chris uh, in Mongolia with this nomad. I mean, it was stupendous, and uh, and I'm going to get into a bunch more than myself. And we're we'll link them all up on our page, on Mind Rolling page, on the BeHereNowNetwork.com. Please do come over there, and uh, you'll be able to hook up with Chris that way as well. And uh, Chris, we you got to come back. We got to just do some more stuff. Somehow. I'm happy to. Thank you so much for having me, brother. Yeah, great to have you. Great to meet you. This is Mind Rolling on the Be Here Now Network. See you next week.